Welcome back to the M&M Hockey Podcast. As I was, as always, I am your host, Alex Metzger. Along with me is my co-host, Chase McCallum. Chase, I just looked. This is episode 184 of this podcast, and we did a couple others that probably weren't on the feed as well. So we are closing in on 200 episodes. This is the first episode in podcast history where I can officially say the Toronto Maple Leafs are into the second round. I, I, like, I knew it had been forever. Obviously, you see the like tweets and stuff about it constantly, but kind of didn't really think about how long it had been until it actually fucking happened. You know what I mean? It's, um, I mean, there was just no beating around that we had to, we have to start with this. And yeah, it's, it's kind of crazy thing. Even just the fact that like, we've been doing this podcast for four years now, I want to say. And every year it's been the same conversation of, oh, well, what'd they do wrong this year? Oh, okay. Well, maybe they'll just do it next year. And they finally get over the hump as we, you know, we were advocates for keeping the team together and keeping the core together. And I mean, it's only one round, but we'll get to it. That There's a chance for a lot more than this already. And uh, yeah, I was, I was going to come in and make a joke that I think someone got the script wrong. And Toronto closes out a series in six when the Boston Bruins of all teams choke a 3-1 lead and lose a series. Uh, yeah, the defending cup champs are out. It's just been a crazy weekend for hockey. Yeah, like just upsets everywhere. It's it's a great time. It's a great time to be a hockey fan right now. Assuming you're not a Bruins fan. Avs, they can get over themselves there with a cup last year. Yeah, um, I was going to say, I'm not exactly feeling bad for uh, Boston sports fans either, to be fair. But yeah, um, yeah uh, we'll, we'll get to that. We'll definitely get to that as well. Um, as the episode title says, there is one more game seven. I should get to that. We are... Recording on Monday afternoon, and I'm hoping to have this posted really soon after we record. So uh, Monday night, which is tonight, Rangers-Devils game seven. So we, uh, we'll we obviously maybe preview that a little bit and talk about the series as a whole, but obviously won't know who wins. Um, but we will be going through the other six series, or um, no, sorry, the other seven series, I guess, that have ended uh, now, um, and just kind of recap them probably analyze where the team that lost goes from here. Uh, and then Thursday, our episode previewing the second round will be, be a, we know the second round starts on Tuesday, uh, but we're going to report Wednesday afternoon slash night. And so we'll, we'll probably just miss, we won't be able to talk about, uh, or sorry, I guess game ones will always already be done is what I'm trying to say. Um, but we'll still do a, a series preview and just things to watch for games two all through uh, seven if needed. So um Oh, do you want to start with the big one? Do we want to start? Maybe no, I'll start with the only one that matters. All right. Well, we'll start with the big one. The Toronto Maple Leafs knock off the Tampa Bay Lightning in six games. Uh, they win an overtime for the third game in Tampa Bay. The first team to win three overtime uh, road games in a series uh, in, in NHL history. I believe I saw a 2-1 game, pretty gritty. And honestly, another one that. I think you could argue the Leafs not lucked their way into, but definitely got outplayed for. Oh, they for lucked their way into it. <laughs> um, some might call it gritty hockey, but they they finally get it done. Is is, is the big uh, big story from this game? And um, I I don't know. Like I I, I feel it's weird to say because I feel like I don't have too many takeaways. I mean, obviously, the last time we recorded was Game Four. And after game four, and, you know, I made the joke that the next time we're recording, the Leafs will either won a series 
or we'll be prepping a game seven that would have gone tonight. And, uh, you know, thankfully for Leaf fan sanities, it's a, it was the first thing. Game five kind of went how I expected it to. I didn't think the Leafs played necessarily a bad game. Um, I thought Tampa played a really good game because they had their backs to the wall in game five and and just came out the victors. Um, it was crazy to me how many Leaf fans, and like I get the team not having the benefit of the doubt, but how many fans were absolutely crying about losing one game and not beating the back-to-back-to-back uh, -to -back -to -back conference champions four games straight. Um, and then, yeah, Saturday night comes around. The Leafs looked nervous in the first period. Oh, um, God, they looked awful. Yeah. The second period, me and you were texting. I thought the second period was a lot better. Like, I thought that was a, a just a really, really good period of hockey. And to start the third as well, and then I thought Tampa really picked it up as the third kind of went on. And, and Toronto had their moments as well throughout the third period. Like, I thought the back two were definitely better than the first. And, uh, and then Toronto finds a way in overtime, and that's all she wrote. Yeah. And, yeah, they needed luck. Which that's, I mean, feel pretty vindicated. I know it's only one round or whatever, but there's going to be a lot of analysis on like what's different about this Leafs team versus old teams. Yeah, they got lucky as fuck this time. The last year they lost on phantom high sticking calls that didn't actually happen. This year they win on a clear high stick that essentially had a spotlight on it and like didn't get called stuff like that. Like, yeah, but like they got bounces. Yeah, exactly. Last year, people didn't like that Justin Hall penalty. This year, again, they it's a no call on a high stick, and they yeah, like you could have put a spotlight on that. That was such an obvious penalty. Yeah. And they didn't get it. They got lucky yep. as fuck, and that's okay. Yeah, and I mean, like, um, you know, put yourself in a position to be lucky is what they did, though, right? Like they yep. they took a Hang three one around. series. Yeah, exactly. They took a three one series lead and then hung around, and obviously it was three two at that point, but hung around in game six to to allow themselves and you know and. Even to the point of throwing that puck on net, so it does take a, a bounce off, a wild bounce off a defender skate and beat Vasilevsky, who you know didn't even see the puck really, and that's a greasy little game winner. But like, that's the kind of things you need to get lucky on sometimes, and that's okay. And on the flip side of things, I thought Samsonov was unreal on Saturday night, and that is yes, something he was. We have not seen since like James Reimer, twenty thirteen kind of days of stealing a game from the opponent from Toronto's goalies. Yeah. Yeah, it's exactly what they needed, right? Because Tampa's a very good team. And, I mean, this is probably the worst he's played since the Columbus series. But, like, Vasilevsky's still Vasilevsky. You can't have a goalie play awful and beat Tampa Bay Lightning. Yeah, exactly. And, and yeah, like, it was, it's funny, too, because, yeah, Vasilevsky really struggled at times in this series. And then game five, you just get vintage Vasilevsky, where, again, I, I thought the Leafs played totally fine in game five. Um, and they just hit a post or two, missed a net once or twice, and Vasilevsky made like four unreal saves. And on the other end, Samsonov in game five, he let in one stinker, and that was enough to, you know, unfortunately switch the game to, to Tampa's way. But um, no, like you, you couldn't draw it up better if you're you're a Leafs fan. And again, like you're not going to win three comeback games in overtime or three overtime games and multiple comeback games or whatever every series. But you kind of feel like with this team, you probably don't have to do that going forward now. Or you shouldn't have to, I guess, is no. maybe the, the better way to put it. No, I mean, it's kind of weird because this is like the weakest Tampa's looked on paper in a very, very long time. But on the ice, I think they look fantastic. Yeah, I thought the Leafs played a great game. Or a great the Leafs might have just played, assuming they can make it to the cup final, obviously. They probably won't, just how odds work. But like, even if they go all the way through, they probably just played the best team they'll play the entire way through. 
yeah, like with Boston out, as we already mentioned, Tampa or Colorado's out on the other side. Like, yeah, there's a good Again, chance. Edmonton's better on paper, but I don't know. Like when the, when Tampa Bay's playing well, which I think watching them, they objectively were. You've a hard, you're gonna have a hard time convincing me that like the Hurricanes are better than they are or whatever. Especially with how injured the Hurricanes are. Yeah, the yeah. Devils aren't better in my opinion than the Lightning. The Rangers aren't better. Like, yeah, I, I think that's a fair statement. I, I think going into the playoffs, the couple teams you'd circle were definitely the Bruins. Um, yeah. Again, yeah, you could say teams like Toronto, Edmonton, Colorado on paper, and then Colorado maybe you throw in there as well. But then Colorado had some injuries. We'll get to them as well. And and you know half those teams I just mentioned are out, and the other two are in the West. So. Um, yeah. No, no, I, I think that's an extremely reasonable statement. And um, yeah, we'll, we'll get to Toronto's second round matchup in a little bit. And obviously next episode, we'll focus heavily on it. On the Tampa side of things, like I really didn't think they played poorly at all. Um, this to me. I think played great. Yeah, like this wasn't a team. It, it was funny. There was a bunch of quotes after the, the um, series. Like I think it was Stamkos who said he thought they actually played better than last year. And, and, you know, last year they got a win this year. They didn't. That's just how it falls. And, I really don't disagree with that statement, to be completely honest. I, I think at times last year, the Leafs gave the Lightning that series, you know, when they, they could have put their foots down and they didn't. And this year was the exact opposite, where the Leafs kept fighting no matter what. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good way of looking at it, I would think. that's Yeah, that makes sense to me. So... I don't know. I, I wrote a, a big recap on this series. And, you know, the, the biggest things I kind of highlighted for the series was goaltending, not as expected. You know, Samsonov stole. I really thought Samsonov stole game three and game six, um, where his yep. two just great performances. And, and you know, you're, you're going to look back and honestly, even compared to some of the Frederick Anderson years, his stats might not look amazing for this series, but he did something that neither Anderson, Campbell, uh, could do. And that is steal a game when they needed them to steal a game, you know? Um, and that was it reminded me of reminded me of Bassey last year where like uh, Bassey's save percentage started with an eight last year but he won game six and seven almost single-handedly for the lightning kind of thing uh so he's remembered as playing great because he won when it mattered and it was pretty similar there yep absolutely um the, the other thing I highlighted and you could just go and, and and tell me if you agree or not but the additions uh that either team made you know I think there was two opposite stories where I was actually surprised with how well Luke Shen and Morgan Riley played. Maybe yep. not something I would trust all the way through. We'll see. Like they, they were they sheltered, play? which helped. Is if that's how you're, if you are going to use them together like that, you need to shelter them, and that's okay. So, yeah, um, in a perfect then, world, you don't trade for a guy that needs to be sheltered when you already have six good defensemen at the deadline. But given that that happened, it's the best way of doing it. Yep, um, but then you throw in. No, I thought Noel Chari was a very solid depth piece, especially in year compared to years past for Toronto, where you know, like he wasn't. Again, it's not like he was a game breaker or anything like that. But you kind of noticed him here or there, even and just even defensively, he played fine, which was nice. Jake McCabe took the toughest minutes you could ask of a defenseman in this series, and didn't always play amazing, but I thought played well enough. And obviously, Ryan O'Reilly was a, a was amazing. Um, and I said, well, I mean, we've touched on this a lot, but Matthew Nice was one of the bigger differences. And that was a guy they opted not to deal at the deadline. And on the other side, you look at Tanner Janot, who just was not a factor in this series. And I think, unfortunately for Tampa, that was more to health than anything else. But when you spend it is a little seven draft picks on a dude, you can't like it's just it's a tough break when he's not available for most of the series. Yeah, they kind of got. 
they got felinoed in a sense where it was a horrible process and then got unlucky in what was already probably going to be mediocre at best and then it just spirals from there right Yep, and like had they, I I didn't put this in the the part, but like they had added Ian Cole and the off season, and he was a disaster this series, just getting eaten alive yeah. by by Toronto. It was a so, treat. Yeah, literally, like um, so that was another d- deadline thing, and then the biggest thing I had, and to me, this is the biggest thing in the series: the big players for Toronto got it done, the big players for Tampa did not. Yep, and that's we talked about that all the time when Toronto was losing, right? It's like. Uh, they're turning over captain and these guys like, well, it won't really matter. What's going to matter is either Matthews and Marner and Nylander and Tavares are going to go ham and they're going to win or they're not. and They're going to lose. And yep. Marner's possibly been the best player in the entire playoffs. Matthews has played like Matthews. Riley's been playing like a number one defenseman. Nylander somehow managed to put up three point games, even when he looks horrible for most of them. And yeah, Tavares scored the series winning goal. Like, yep. Playoff Morgan exactly Riley. Playoff Morgan Riley showed up. You're paying him seven and a half million dollars. How fitting is it that John Tavares scores the series winner? Matthews had five goals and forces, including a couple really big ones at the end of that series. Yeah. You know, it, it wasn't just all, all kind of garbage ones. I would argue that, you know, while Mitch Marner looked like the best player at times, I also thought he was invisible for part of the series. And he still put up 11 points in the, in the series. And I think he truly has another year to go, which is terrifying to think about if you're the opponent and as you said William Nylander there was times where I genuinely thought he should be benched and then he throws up three assists in 10 minutes it's like oh okay never mind where yeah exactly he'll have like a 20% xg but he'll like the what game was where he played awful but he had two assists and then and then assist the game winner yep game four on the the 4-1 comeback where it's like I think you legitimately could have made an argument that he should have been sat for part of that third period, but Keith didn't do it. And it was definitely to the least benefit because he yep. was a massive part of the comeback. And then on the flip you side of things, fun stat. Oh, go for it. Yeah. It's going to go to the flip side. This will transition to the flip side relatively well. Uh, who do you think had more goals, Matthews alone or Stamkos, Kucherov and point combined? Oh, I have all three of their uh, point totals in front of me that I was just about to read out. So I know it's Austin Matthews. Yeah. Well, they're tied in specifically goals, but yeah, like, yeah, that's you're uh, gonna win a series when that's true. Ex- exactly. Steven Samkos, one goal, two assists, all series. And that one goal came in game six. Uh Braden Point, four points. I think it was two goals, two assists, if I'm not mistaken. And uh Nikita Kucherov, one goal, five assists. Um, and then you know, Victor Hedman. I get I still think Victor Hedman looked great when he did play, but it was clear he still wasn't quite a hundred percent. And obviously he missed the first two games and and the loss of Eric Cernak for that team. Can't be understated, I don't think, either, given Toronto's game plan. You know, I don't think, like, I think maybe people were overrating Cernak a little bit in just terms of, like, how good of a player he is. But considering Toronto's entire game plan was park as many bodies in front of the net as we can, that is one thing Cernak is very, very good at. I heard people saying, oh, I think had data, like, Instat or whatever, were saying he's one of the best crease clears in the league, like, by percentage. And, and that makes sense because he's such a big body, right? So they desperately like missed how- him there hockey men describe Luke Shen. Yes, yeah, that's a good way to put it. Or like the ideal Luke Shen kind of thing. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, and that, those were the the big things I had. The only other thing I kind of mentioned was just funny enough that uh, five of the six games were run on the road. But I don't, I don't think there's much to take away from that, really, other than just uh, that's 
you know, just something that came out of it. But um, yeah, weird stuff happens sometimes like that. Yeah. Um, for Tampa, like, I, like I, we're going to be obviously talking about Toronto enough over the next week or two for sure. Now, Tampa, where do they go from here? I'm, you know, I don't know. I, I saw some people not writing Tampa off, but going, "Ooh, this could be the kind of the closing of their window." I'm not really sure I'm there yet. If I'm going to be completely honest, I think there's definitely fair concerns to have about this team when it comes to you know we just we saw it all year. Their their depth was always a little bit in question. They are just naturally getting older. Um, but this was the worst year we've seen out of this team in a while, and they still finished like 96 points and had a very good argument they should have won this series if they just had like competent goaltending from Vasilevsky, which is something pretty safe to assume I think you're going to get if you try this over again next year. So I don't think this team's cup window is closed, but they definitely need to make tweaks to to fix the roster, I think, again. Yeah, I think they're in like mid to late Sidney Crosby Penguins era where they're still a threat. Like they still have the star power, but like – they probably need to hit on a couple lucky depth pieces to be like a true contender, but they're never going to be a fun out in the playoffs. Yeah, for sure. And like, cause they've already started to hit on one. I hate this team is crazy, man. Darren Radish, I thought looked really good in this series. He's a 27 yeah, he year old that like, obviously his brother played in world juniors a couple of years ago, but I remember watching like, I think Radish was OHL defenseman of the year as in his like, D plus two and they signed him as a free agent because he was undrafted. It was like, oh my God, that's he's gonna be a player for them at some point. Sure enough, at 27, he comes along. Um, Nick Perbix is another guy they found to just kind of slot in on that bottom pair, which is gonna be useful because uh Hedman Sergachev, they'll both be back next year. But Sergachev's got four uh four million dollar raise coming to him. He's made four point eight this year, he's going to eight point five next year. Ian Cole's three million comes off the cap, so um, that covers huge. most of it, which is huge. Yep. But Cernak also goes up about two million, two and a half million dollars. So they're going to need to find another three and a half million dollars somewhere. So Hedman, Sergachev, Cernak, Bogosian, Perbix, Hayden Flurry, and Darren Radish are probably going to be the decor next year. Which is, yeah, you can win with that because yeah. of Hedman. Yeah, exactly. Specifically, and, but yeah, for still. sure. And, and like if the guys that like if Perbex and Radish can be what we saw they were at times this year, like those are useful players to have as depth. And then once you have that number one ace in Hedman, everyone just kind of slides into position, right? So I would imagine Philip Myers is going to be priority to get off the books this year. He makes yeah. two point five five this year and one point four next year, and didn't play a lick of NHL time after like February, I want to say. Um, so there'll be some cap space that they can can relieve there, but. Up front, Alex Kalorn's 4.45 comes off the books. I wouldn't be shocked if Kalorn re-signs at a pretty cheap deal with this team. Oh, I can 100% see him taking the $1.5 million contract and just keep running it back kind of thing. And I would not blame him at all. No. um, You know, if he wants to go get a payday, uh, he absolutely could. He's 33. And let's be honest, this will be the last good chance I think he has at going to get a payday. Um, you know, yeah, he's so, really good this year. Yep, like, 64 points, 82 games. Like, he's been a... 60 50 to 60 point player for the past number of years yeah like i yeah that's true because he could just chase the money this offseason because he'll never get another shot at it and he's won his cups and stuff but it'll be an interesting one to watch yeah and especially because the free agent pool is very weak this year so like i, I could absolutely see some team you've been in four years at like five million dollars i i wouldn't recommend it 
but I could see some team doing it. Oh, but, yeah. I could uh, see they talk themselves into a veteran leadership because he's won his cops and he's still productive and all that. Yep. But he's also made almost $38 million in estimated career earnings. So I could also see him just being like, yeah, if Tampa wants to sign me to a four-year deal at a $1.5 million cap hit, I'll take that and just play for cheap for a while with that yeah. too. So yeah, that's fair. That, that'll be an interesting one, but you're definitely getting cap space, I think, is, is my overall uh, point there. And then I'll just be interested to see if they, because that would be huge if they can keep him on a $1.5 million. Like you're effectively getting a middle six board for a million bucks or something for like that, if that happens. Yeah. Because so, that'll be a fairly big loss on a team that's lost a ton of depth already. Yep, for sure. And Ross Colton's up this year. He's an RFA. Uh, Pierre Abel Belmar's up this year. Corey Perry's up this year. Again, a couple of these guys, I think they'll probably just resign for their one mil as well. Like I could see Corey Perry coming back if he really wants to. Um, Michael Esmont is up this year as well. He was he was a name that I I didn't think I was going to notice as much in in that Leaf series and kind of popped his name up here and there. I, I found in the series as well. Um, and then Tanner Janot is an RFA, which again, why you trade that much for an expiring RFA, I don't know, but I don't need to get into this. So I don't know. I, this team's definitely going to have some depth to tweak as well, but I could see them running a pretty similar roster back with uh, maybe a few different names at depth pieces next year and probably will be third in the uh, Atlantic again. Maybe depends what Boston does, I guess. And they'll probably be a tough out for whoever they get round one again. I agree. I will also say, I'm quite happy to that they're, now that they're out, that we don't have to pretend that the Tanner Janot trade might have been genius in 2023, <laughs> but because they won the 2021 Stanley Cup. I absolutely agree. Um, I think it's, like I'm so happy we can all yeah. just be like, yeah, that was fucking stupid. They're a smart team, but they did something incredibly stupid. If that's fine, that happens, but it was dumb. Yeah, yeah, one one thousand percent with you there. Um, all right, that's the first series down. Uh, we, we won't make win all of them in depth, but I mean, uh, I think it's fair just, you know, obviously with a lease fan on this podcast, we had to spend our amount of time there. It was definitely going to be no it's the biggest. Yeah, it's the biggest story. In this. Like, it's like a national story that the Leafs didn't find. The stupidest team on earth did the easiest thing in the world with that much talent. But it's, yeah. It's, well, yeah, it's funny because the other Atlantic series, is, I would argue, is just as big of a national story when you have Which, the Skittles Twitter brand tweeting about it. Um, I don't actually, know if I, saw, I didn't yeah. see that. It's like something like, uh, we're having a good day, but at least we didn't blow a 3-1 lead or something like that. Like, I don't even, it was just such an unnecessary shot. But Just catching strays. Yeah, um, but obviously, yeah, the Boston Bruins dropped a 3-1 lead to the wildcard Florida Panthers. Uh, my weekend wasn't great, but at least I didn't choke away a 3-1 playoff lead. Anyways, taste the rainbow. That is from At Skills. Uh, <laughs> One of their most recent tweets is, Please stop throwing Skittles into Boston Harbor. It was a joke <laughs> right below that. <laughs> oh, man. Um, wow. I, I'm in shock on this one. I, did, I don't even care. I can't even. I think I mentioned it on the podcast, but I can't even remember, to be honest. I think it might have been the preview one right before um, you know you would return. And I had said, obviously, the playoffs are unpredictable. And what I was like keeping an upset are not the ones where you think it could be an upset. You know, Devils Rangers, I don't that, that wasn't really an upset. Either way, it's a game seven that I whoever wins, I don't think anyone's gonna be shocked, right? Maple Leafs yeah. Lightning. Obviously, even with the narratives, it's not like actually that shocking that this Leafs team on paper won around, right? 
Um, yeah. Oilers King, we said could go either way. That went six. The two game, the two series I said, the ones that you always want to look out for are the ones that no one is picking. And that is the Kraken over the Avalanche and the Panthers over the Bruins. <laughs> and you look and you go, how can the, because every year there's about two or three that everyone just automatically assumes. And at least one, usually two of them are flipped the other way. This way it ended up being two out of two that we saw where no one was picking the Panthers for good reason too. And, um, you know, a bunch of people weren't picking the Kraken as well. And again, for pretty good reason. Um, two similar but different stories here. Let's start with the Bruins side of things just because we're on the East. This is uh, like the Bruins choked the series away. There's no other way to put it. Yeah, they completely threw it, which is hilarious. So, like, this is a great playoffs for, for narratives. Because, like, who's – if you told people one of the elite each teams is throwing the 3-1 series lead – and obviously it's going to be the choking leaves and but and then the clutch Bruins would never do such a thing because of all their playoff experience and whatnot. Well, didn't get them very far this year. Exactly. But man, yeah, you want to talk about narratives. The President's Trophy curse is going to be one that uh, really gets stoked on the fires on this one. But also the team shouldn't have good years because they need to face adversity is another one I think is going to get very highly flamed here. And um, I don't think I really agree with that. I think a big, the biggest part of this reason, I mean, again, let's be honest, the credit to the Panthers. They took what the Bruins handed them. The Panthers need some respect as well, because they played very, very well for those last three games to go back and take, take the series yeah. from Boston. But the biggest thing to me was just how painfully obvious it was that a lot of Boston was not healthy. And yeah, they looked. Okay, question. They yeah. they were definitely unhealthy, and that's probably a driver in the sentence that I'm going to say. Looking at the Bruins roster and, like, who's on it and where, plus, like, their XG was pretty pedestrian for, like, a four-month stretch. Were the Bruins frauds the entire time? And not frauds as in they were actually bad, but just like a 52-win team, not a 65 They were not the team. best. This is not the best roster we've ever seen in NHL history. Yeah, like David Krejci's being back is nice or whatever. Go look at David Krejci's numbers and tell me if that's the second-line center on the best team in modern history. They're pretty awful. Yeah, well, even just like... Because oh, he wasn't me, good, then he left for a year. You're telling me but, Linus Olmark isn't a 938 goalie where the hell he finished with this year? Yeah, like if Pavel Zaka isn't amazing. Yeah, like again, and like that's kind of what makes this season so cool for them. Nine thirty-eight is what Allmark finished with. That is absurd. And then an eight ninety-six yep. in six games in the playoffs. Yeah, um, Swayman had like a nine twenty-something too as a backup, didn't he? Yep. Oh yeah, and like part of that's the system, obviously. But even just like. Yeah, like the big talk was how how well they were doing it without like Marshawn and McAvoy being here. It's like, oh yeah, like again, it probably makes sense that Hampus Lindholm is closer to what we saw in this series of okay, just okay, versus a Norris level caliber defenseman, which he was playing at for a majority of the season. Yeah, he looked like Adam Fox. <laughs> yeah, and like so again, like it's it's kind of hard because you go at one on one hand, you go you can't take it away. They played amazing, but on the other hand, it goes. You go, it's more than fair to say, I think, that everything went right in the regular season for this team. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, they, well, you need luck to 
to win yeah. 65 hockey games. Very opposite. And, and that's why I don't think, like, I think the adversity thing is kind of bullshit. Where I, I think it's more just luck than they, they, their luck ran out in the playoffs than anything. I mean, that's not all it, of course. Like, Brad, or not Brad Marchand, Patrice Bergeron apparently has a herniated disc. I'm sorry, but like when Bergeron's playing as bad as he did the other, like during this series, he probably shouldn't be out there with a herniated disc. Well, that's the thing. Like, so there's a lot of talk about how deep this team is. When you look at teams who win that many games relative to elite hockey teams, this team is not deep at all. No. They're one Bergeron injury away from me being able to confidently say they have two good forwards. Yeah, I mean, like... Like, obviously, ah, Taylor Hall's good. Debrusque yeah. is, like, good is maybe the wrong word, but, like... Their wing, their wing position is deep, but their center is not at all. It's not at all. And, like, I don't know. They just don't have as many elite players as I would have kind of thought. No, but I get, like, this, yeah, yeah like, this results. just... They would just call up random NHL guys and get production out of that, or like grind out a four-two win or three-two win or whatever. It's just like, like, yeah, I don't. And it's easy to say in hindsight, of course, but it's like, yeah, of course that's not sustainable. Yeah, and yeah, and it's obviously like I said, them being frauds is all relative. They're still a fantastic hockey team and everything, but frauds relative to an elite team. Like they broke Tampa Bay's. Uh, records from 2018, 19, or whatever. Compare the rosters and tell me which team's better. Yeah. Like, it's not even a contest at that point, right? No, like Nikita Kucherov was setting pre McDavid scoring records. Exactly. And, and even but, if you want to say, and Pasternak's like the only one who can hang with his Tampa counterpart in that. Yeah. Yeah. Too. So, and he's worse than Kucherov was. Well, the past yeah. wasn't made. But yeah, man, like in this year, I, I do think maybe one of the fair things is not adversity necessarily about having this good season, but when you're playing to break a record like that in the regular season, are you doing what's smartest long-term for the health of the players when it comes to playoffs? Because again, it looked pretty obvious to me that a bunch of the Bruins were banged they up. They looked very hurt. Yeah, Bergeron like hurt to watch at times. Yep, and Krejci missed a couple games and then I didn't think he looked particularly good when he drew in either. Um, yeah, on the back end, I didn't think any of Orlov, McAvoy, or Lindholm looked elite. I thought Orlov I thought, looked well relative to what I expected from them. I thought Orlov looked really good, but yeah, that's not fair. elite. Um, because yeah, I didn't like, nearly as much. McAvoy and Lindholm had their moments, but just overall, I got kind of disappointed in the series. Yeah, that's, I mean. I've, I'm probably McAvoy's. I'm probably like the highest person on McAvoy in the entire hockey analytics community. And I still watched him and went, wow, that was underwhelming. Not that he was bad. But... And that's kind of how I felt about Pasternak and Marshawn. Like, again, not bad, but also a little underwhelming. <laughs> you know, like I, Pasternak really turned it on the last couple of games, but he had five yep. goals and no assists. Yep. Well, and speaking of playing for the record, like, and he scored five goals, so it's not like they're going to regret this, I doubt. But David Pasternak played 82 games this year when they probably had a playoff spot locked up in January. That mm-hmm. is not necessary at all. Yeah, even just like Patrice Bergeron played that final game against Montreal. And again, like, I get it, sentimental value. It's in Montreal. You know, it's like, that, you know, he's French-Canadian. Probably his last regular season game ever, but like, the dude's got a herniated disc or got the herniated disc in that game. 
You probably you you might there's an argument to be made if you caught it in that game eighty two in Montreal. You screwed yourself single handedly out of a playoff uh, spot or around two because you played him in that game. Yep. And again, hindsight's a bitch, but yeah, and it's just bad luck mostly. But you've got to put yourself in a position where that can't hurt you when you've made the playoffs in January. Like they, there's a reason that despite Mitch Marner sitting at ninety nine points. In the final week of the season, he played one of four of the least games, I want to say it was. Yeah. Yeah, right? they like, were sitting him a bunch at the end. So on Boston's side, the only forwards I thought really stood out all series long was Taylor Hall was flying out there. I feel bad for oh, Taylor yeah. Hall. Like, he looked like like peak devils Taylor Hall at times of how good he, he looked. He just can't then, catch a break in his career, right? Literally. Like, it's just so unfortunate. And then I thought Bertuzzi uh, was a really good – like, if they would have gotten past the first round here, which is unfortunate for them that they didn't, but Bertuzzi, when he was acquired, the narrative was kind of like, oh, diminishing returns, they already have enough of this, but he was a really key part, and unfortunately, it just still wasn't enough. Yeah, he was a, he was an amazing addition. I thought he was an RFA, UFA, which is kind of tough, but mm-hmm. yeah. They're, yeah, just mostly underwhelming in general for them. Yeah. Which is kind of how it has to be for a team. Again, even if I think think we kind of overstated how good they were by a little bit in the regular season, but they're still amazing, obviously, and it's going to take some pretty underwhelming performances from a lot of players for them to lose to a Florida team, even if Florida's pretty decent on their own. That's the thing. You could take 20 points away from this team. So they are a 115-point team. They would still be first in the Atlantic and first they in the— They still win the Presidents. Yeah, like yeah. 20 points away from this team, so they still win the Presidents' trophy— and this would still be a disappointing result. Yeah, because without the Bruins, the Leafs were only one win back from the pres- tied for the President's Trophy with the Canes, actually, which yeah. I bet you most this, people wouldn't have guessed that the Canes were second. This team finished here on a W8, 9-1-0. And, oh, and they lost the seven games. 128 years. goal differential. Yeah, like there, there's just no way around it. This is one of the biggest collapses we've seen. And, and yeah, like it's... More than fair to say that this team probably was not probably. There's no team in the NHL that's a 135 point team. No, or even particularly close. You could put Crosby in the Edmonton Oilers for league minimum, and they're probably still not a true 135 point team in most models, just because yeah. of how much parity there is in the NHL. Yeah, honestly, you gave Crosby, Crosby and Matthews. Still then you're then you're at least getting closer. <laughs> they're getting yeah. close to it, yeah. But like, yeah, it's just I don't know. So we're the because the problem is when you're that good, the downside is so much. It's like when you have a ninety in your class, and you know, failing a test can kill you, but getting a ninety-two can barely help you, right? Like, yeah, you're not improving on a ninety-two does not improve your grade, but a seventy-five brings you down to like an eighty-six or whatever. Yeah, it can absolutely tank you. It gets like that where you're starting to deal with. It's like they lost seventeen games all year, only twelve in regulation, like. That's so they lost absurd. seven games at home, and three of them were in the playoffs. <laughs> yeah, like that's fucked. Yeah, like it's just it's just crazy. So where do they go from here? I don't know. It'll one hundred percent determine or based on what Patrice Bergeron decides to do. Yep. Um, it like from what I would be pretty surprised if he comes back. Just the way he. Going after, out hurt and everything. Yeah, going out it hurt. It seemed like he was done. It kind of seemed like even since last summer, this was very clearly the last hurrah. They've pushed bonuses into next year. 
I don't know if you saw, but after the series was over, he stayed and hugged every single one of his teammates. Um, you know, again, maybe you could argue that's just a cap, the captain thing he would do, but to me, that kind of signaled a little more than just that. So if he does step yeah. away, I just, I know this team's not going to want to, but I don't see how you can do anything but start a retool, rebuild. Well, that's retool. the thing is you would have to retool because are you not calling yourself a cup contender with Pavel Zach as your first line center and Charlie Coyle as your second line center? But the problem is they're not bad enough to tank with Marshawn Hall, Pasternak, McAvoy on this roster either, right? Like, No, but they have no prospects either. No, and they don't have their first round pick, which I I forgot that Toronto had their first round pick. So like, at least they yeah. was a double pick. win. Yeah, so... But, yeah, like, I don't know. The Bergeron thing will be interesting. And they just don't have a ton of cap space either. So there's no doubt this team is going to take a, a step back. What I am curious to see, over under, do they take? Do they lose more points from this year to next year than the Panthers did from last year to this year? Ooh, what did the Panthers lose? They went from, what, 120 to 92? I thought, yes, I believe so. I'm just trying to verify that right now. Um 122 to 92, actually. So they dropped okay, 30 full points. 30. Definitely so, the Bruins. There's no way the Bruins are 105 point team next year. I think I probably would agree, but also I hate betting against the Bruins. So I hate betting uh, against them too, but that division's like Florida's well, still good. Leafs will still be the Leafs. Lightning are still the Lightning. Sabres, Sens are getting better, and the Wings might too. Yep. Yeah. So and the Habs, like, even to be honest. That's what we said about the Panthers last year, too. I don't know. I, I think the Bruins are probably like the Panthers of this year, where they're probably going to have a way disappointing start to the year no matter what. And then by the end of the year, they're either going to be a point into the playoffs or a point out of the playoffs and trying to do exactly what the Panthers just did. Yeah, the Panthers added like a young MVP-level talent. Now, they, of course, lost people to get that, too, but there's no Matthew to Chuck coming to. No. Coming but, to Boston, and they're losing someone better than Huberto, probably with Bergeron. Yeah, for sure. But they're also falling from a higher spot than the Panthers. That's true, too. But, and I think their system and stuff, like, it almost, they have elite defensemen with Lynn Holman McAvoy, but then it, it almost seems to not matter who else they dress. Like, they just get good results no matter what, which is very, very helpful. Although yeah. we said that about the Panthers too, and Montour yep. was like a borderline Norris guy this year. So, <laughs> yeah. well, and that's the other, I, mean, I would say that the Panthers lost to Rude off season as well. And um, oh shoot, what's a guy in Dallas's name now? Um, oh uh, yeah, not Verhaggy, but no, but Verhaggy, <laughs> new Verhaggy. Yeah, we have other Verhage Verhage. at home. Yeah, um, they lost him as well, but yeah, so they lost that. Um, but I was just going to get to the Panthers too because uh, you know we'll we'll talk about their team again in the preview as well. But I did want to give them their dues for this playoff series. Obviously, um, most of it has to go to Mason Marchman is the name we we're thinking of, by the way. Yes. Um, most of it has to go to uh, Boston and their collapse. But uh, the Florida Panthers they they did exactly what they needed to do. Uh, a couple talking points I had on Florida: uh, Brandon Montour having himself a season and a series. I wrote that down. Immediately, he takes two of the stupidest penalties I've ever seen to give Boston the lead. <laughs> I go, oh, man, that looks stupid. And then he scores to, to tie the game with uh, a minute left or whatever. So uh, Brandon Montour had one hell of a series. Um, you know, I don't think amazing. Just incredible. And he's done it all year. 
I was I was saying it to to Leash when we were watching the game. It's like watching them try to come back with a minute and a half left and seeing Barkov and Montour at the blue line passing it back and forth. It's like, do you really want your season on the sticks of point shots from Montour and uh, Barkov? Apparently, you do. <laughs> yeah, yeah they're, <laughs> they're comfortable with it, I guess. Yeah. Um. The other thing I kind of, and this is more of a, a, a season-wide thing, but even just this playoffs, uh, this is Matthew Kajuk's team, right? Yep. Sorry, Barkov. Move out of the way. This is Matthew Kajuk's team. Matthew? Yeah, I remember when Micah said, Matthew Kajuk is better than both Uyghur and Huberto combined. I was like, you know, Matthew Kajuk was like an MVP-level player, but that's a little aggressive. No, that's that's just true. Yep. Um, the other takeaway I had is... I kind of wonder if Barkov is playing a little bit hurt. Um, yeah, Reinhardt is taking face-offs for them in key situations with Barkov on the ice. That is weird as hell. And, like, Barkov is getting absolutely, yeah, absolutely filled in the series by a non-Bergeron Boston team, and then Bergeron, who looked like absolute crap as well. Yeah, And, like, like Barkov he, he finished this series with a 40% expected goals rate and 43 Corsi 4 percentage, third last. Among 14 eligible for Florida Panthers um, in both. I, okay, sorry. I sh- I'm going to say third last among 13 because Giovanni Smith's one game in five minutes on <laughs> Yeah, we don't have to count those. Yeah, but like, yeah, Barkov looked bad. Duclair didn't look good. So that's one where, you know, I hope that line can kind of shift it as well. Um, I don't. Well, yeah, I was just say from a from a purely um, <laughs> yes um, perspective and a neutral uh, spectator, I'll say. Yes. Um, and another name I want to bring up because I, I was really impressed with him is Anton Lundell. Um, he just yeah, I like uh, him a lot yep. actually. Yeah, me too. And that, and that game seven especially, like I just his forechecking ability and his, it's the way that he controlled the puck. I was just really impressed with. Um, and he was just a guy. It just kind of felt like every time he was on the ice, he something small he was doing was just popping off the page. You know, he only had four points yeah. in the seven games, but uh, I was really impressed with him for a 21 year old, especially. Yeah. I completely agree with that. I really like him. I like prospect model loves him. So I'm always trying to watch him kind of closely just to see what he looks like at the NHL level. And he doesn't disappoint. Yep. Absolutely. And then, yeah, the other thing I had on this team was, and like, we'll get to this maybe more in the preview is like, how the fuck is this team winning playing Mark Stahl and Nick Cousins so goddamn much? I cannot wait to watch Mitch because Mark Stahl's yeah. lining up on the left together. side. Yeah, like Mar- Mark Stahl on the left side lining up against Marner and Nylander on the right side better just get absolutely pumped. Yeah, that'll be uh, quite a mismatch to keep an eye on. Um, It'll be a treat. I-, I was thinking about this last night. How absurd is it that like professional level coaches do like something so obvious oh i just did the entire thing i was just like how insane is it that a professional level coach can do that somebody's paid millions of dollars a year to do something and he's doing something that obviously stupid like that's absurd as a concept correct it's just one of those things too where it's like it's not like this is just an analytics thing he looked horrible he was just yeah. getting absolutely toasted. Yeah, and it's it's one thing too, and like Hampus Lindholm's analytics aren't great, and then he gets traded to Boston and does well, and everybody's like, "See, 
got the nerds and it's like well campus Lindholm was an analytics star for like eight years he probably didn't forget how to play hockey on a horrible ducks team mark stahl's been horrific <laughs> yeah for like 10 years now yeah and he's looked it the entire time he's played it like the goal-based numbers say it like it's it's just true there's really no way around it yeah yeah no i i don't have anything to disagree with there um, we should get moving. We've spent 40 minutes on two series, so we'll, we'll go through the next couple a little quicker. This is one I don't have a ton to talk about. Uh, Hurricanes beat the Islanders 4 uh, 2. I win didn't two watch in overtime. a game of this series. I, I, I watched parts of it. I didn't watch the final game. I was watching the Blue Jays play that night. Um, so, you know, it, but a like classic Islanders game 2 1, losing overtime. Uh, we talked enough about it too in just the past couple episodes that I don't think there's really much to talk about from the last time we talked about this series other than just kind of where do the Islanders go from here and and even that unlike most teams where I do think it is kind of interesting to see what they talk about this offseason this is the same fucking offseason we always have with this team oh they're old as hell they're probably going to find a need to uh, way to shed a little bit of salary and they're probably just going to stay old as hell and get a year older and more mediocre and yep they're just going to get marginally worse again as we've seen them do Yep. So um, I guess the really big thing is, so they get 5 million of Varlamov off the cap this year, which is going to be big for them. Um, I'll be interested to see what Varlamov does in the off season. I think he'd be an interesting backup option for a couple teams at a cheap, cheap price, but uh, we'll see. Probably a shot. Um, Wallstrom's their big guy that they're going to have to resign this year. Uh, he is an RFA, but the biggest thing they're going to have to concern themselves with what they want to do with Ilya Sorokin, who is a UFA after next year. Uh, one more year after this at $4 million. He is, um, I feel like, you know, if you ask the, and Shostakin's the same way, if I'm being completely honest. A lot of the quote-unquote young goalie Saros will throw in that group too. If you ask like what their age is for a lot of those guys, I think most people would say like 23, 24, right? Like, they Sorokin feel younger Shostakin than they are. 27. Yeah, it's because the goalies take so long to come over. Yep. Yeah, especially Russian goalies too, and, and like even just even when they are over, they don't always get a chance right away, right? But yeah. um, and goalies get talked about as young when they're twenty four. So when a hockey fan hears that a young guy's bursting out of the scene, they assume like nineteen because that's the way forwards and defensemen are. But with a goalie, it's usually like like a twenty five year old here, and they still get talked about like a baby. Yep. But yeah, both Shostakin and Sorokin are twenty seven. So like, it's the Islanders. I. I'm assuming they will probably just default to finding a way to re-sign him. But like, I think there should be a genuine argument that it'll, and it'll depend how next year starts probably that the Islanders should at least look to see what moving away from Sorokin and starting a rebuild will do. But I just don't see them doing it given every other move they've made for the past six years. If they're smart, they'll trade him this offseason and protect against the downside risk of his save percentage not starting with a 9.2 next year. But they're just going to run it back, and then if it does start with a 9.2 or above, they're going to claw into eighth place, and if it doesn't, they're going to miss the playoffs. Yeah. Um, I guess the one thing maybe true, the only thing I think against, well, not only, obviously, he's an amazing goaltender, you know, you can use those, but the one thing when it comes to trading him is a how good of a market is there ever for goalies? You know, like to be fair, we haven't really seen someone of Sorokin's caliber be moved, but also I think there's a really good argument that there could be a 
very big goalie market this year. Now it's the NHL, so good chance it just ends up being boring and nothing ends up happening. Um, but like, here's a couple names that just like people are throwing out that could be available, and I don't necessarily disagree with any of them actually being available. It just depends how many of them you actually like. Um, as I stall to try and pull it up here, I can't believe I don't hear. Soros depends what Nashville wants to do, right? Are they entering a retool? He's a lot of eighth place teams with elite goalies right now. Yep. Hellebuck. Um, you know, we'll get to the Winnipeg Jets in a little bit, but that team sounds like they might want to dismantle. Uh, what do the Flyers think of Carter Hart? Is he something that they want to invest in long term? How long do they want to rebuild? All that stuff. Thatcher Demko is another name out in Vancouver. Uh, Jacob Markstrom is something someone threw out there. I would stay away from that one personally. Um, but obviously with Daryl Sutter being fired um, today, that's a big piece of news as well. Uh, Frederick Anderson is going to be a UFA and Jonas Korpisal is going to be UFA. Um, so again, I would stay away probably from those last two guys personally, unless you get them at very cheap. But that's seven big names. big names that I just named that are, you know, starting goaltenders that range from... Yeah, he's a starter to like legit elite starter. So you throw an eighth in Sorokin in there. I just I don't know what the market will be like as maybe the the one downside of right now. Yeah, it's, a, it's kind of jarring because the best goalie last summer was Samsonov. It's obviously partially hindsight biased that he'd been good, but like, yeah, I'm trying. I'm not to think missing anyone was... else. Kemper sign, but yeah, I mean, you could probably I would probably argue Kemper maybe. Yeah, because Kemper had some elite years. Which he wasn't even, never did. It wasn't horrible this year either. Like no, but even still, the thirty-two-year-old like, Darcy Kemper to a whole yeah. bunch. Like most of the league's best goalies are at least plausibly available, even if you know one of them will probably get moved at most. But at least there's a reason to think plenty of them will be. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, let's think for the Islanders. I, I don't know. Like I just. People know my thoughts on this team. They're, I'm I underrate them definitely a little bit just based off of their success, but also like again, this team just feels destined to be anywhere from the 16th to 25th best team in the league. So, yep. All right, let us move on to the West. Uh, but before we do that, I quickly like to thank our sponsors at Athletic Greens. Their signature AG1 replaces key health products in one simple scoop. AG1 combines nine health products working together as one, replacing your multivitamin, vitamin, multi-minerals, pre- and probiotic, immunity support, and more. This means AG1 does more for your body and saves you time, money, and confusion compared to taking multiple unique products. Simply follow the link in our show description and get started today. All right, Chase, on to the West where we have four more series. We'll uh, go through these again maybe a little quicker than a couple of the East ones that we went through. Um but let's go with the biggest surprise, definitely. It's been more unfair to say, and that is Seattle Kraken upset the Colorado Avalanche in seven games. They take game seven, two to one. I, and I think you were watching that last night as well, correct? Yeah. Um, I thought the Avalanche deserved a bit better of a fate last night. I thought they did really well in the first and second. Uh, maybe lean back a little too much in the third, but you could just feel the energy come out of that building when that uh, goal got called back for offside in the third period, and that was kind of the end of it um credit to the seattle kraken man they played hard they played exactly the game plan they needed to where their depth just overwhelmed i think i saw there was 16 goals in this series by the avalanche's top six and zero by the bottom six and that is the exact reason the avalanche lost this series is 
their depth just was non-existent with injuries and obviously the Nachushkin thing, um, just non-existent. That makes sense because, I mean, it's hard to lose a series when a player looked like, like Nathan McKinnon just looked absolutely fucking electric. He was clearly the best player on the ice, like every time he touched the puck kind of thing. So, yeah, you're not you're going to have to beat them by depth. And it's a good year to do that. Yeah, absolutely. And, like, honestly, it, it's as simple as that. But, I like, to me, that is literally just all the series kind of boiled down to was, you know, I again, yeah, McKinnon looked like a man possessed. Uh, you know, McCarr obviously took that suspension. But even game seven, I thought McCarr was flying out there. But yeah, McCarr also awesome. It's just all the big pretty, guys did. Let's let's be honest. Yeah, the yeah the Colorado Stars were not the issue in the, in this series. Yep. Now and, so speaking of lucky is that first goal by the Kraken in Game Seven and the Kraken in the general in this series were very lucky. Well, and that's the other thing is how often are you going to trust in like Philip Grubauer to outduel his opponents a lot, right? Yeah, probably not very often. Well, the the problem is. You're going to need it probably because, I mean, I really like the Kraken and like what they're building and everything, but I kind of doubt they're going to out XG any of their opponents in the playoffs. Yeah, especially again, now they're going against a Dallas Star team that looks really good as well. Right. Yeah. So they're uh, going against yeah. teams with better top lines than them every single series, which is going to make it harder to win when you're losing the highest leverage minutes almost certainly. Yeah. But yeah, it's just, it, it's, Unfortunately, one of those things where it's like when you have like Darren Helm and Logan O'Connor and Alex Newhook, a guy you were trying to get rid of, Matt Nieto or whatever, on your third third line, not even fourth, you're just you're gonna run into issues in a series, right? Like, yep, yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, but again, credit to the the Kraken. Um, they thought they'd have Landis Cog back, correct? Yes, it was uh, from everyone's report. It was a pretty big surprise when they came out and said Landis Cog's not playing at all in this series. Yeah, that's a huge hit. Which yeah, yeah, and then an absolute massive hit is Nachushkin as well, right? Like, obviously mm-hmm. has an incident. It sounds like there was unfortunately an incident in Seattle with uh, um, alcohol, and he stepped away from the team. Uh, you know, we don't want to pry into that or go any further in that, but just we don't have enough a, details to go any farther. But exactly yeah. from an on ice perspective, this was a dude that you could make an argument. Should have could have won the um, MVP award in last year's playoffs. Yeah, like honestly, was, I kind of forgot about that. <laughs> yeah, literally, but like everyone brings it up. It's like, oh yeah, he was in consideration. Like didn't win it, but he was top three on the ballot for sure, top five at least. Um, and you just pluck him out of the lineup in game two as well. So yeah, and then you have like this team was expecting to have Landeskog and Nachushkin in the lineup for the entire thing. Then you probably run Lekkinen, McKinnon, Rantanen. Your second line then becomes Landeskog. Lars Eller, no, Lannis Cognitushkin, Comfer, or something like that. You bump Lars Eller down to the third line or bring Newhook up to the second line. But instead, you're running Lekkinen, McKinnon, Ranton. Good first line, and they played yep. well. Rodriguez, Eller, Comfer. That should be a good third line from an elite fourth line for a team. And that would have been their elite fourth line last year. Nieto, Newhook, O'Connor. Again, O'Connor was their 12th, that's 13th forward last year. Matt Nieto wouldn't have made the team. Yeah, that's um, at the point where I don't even know if that's an elite fourth line. Literally. It's and just... like New, Newhook's a guy where it's like they're just hoping to God this guy takes a step and he just really hasn't. And their fourth line was Brad Hunt, Ben Myers, and Dennis Malgan. Like you're just yeah, not going to win. Dennis, you're, Dennis you're Malgan win couldn't make the Leafs. Yeah. Same with like Alex Kelchenyuk was a healthy scratch or whatever for this team that like 
they were debating bringing in. Like, you're just you're not going to win like that. Yeah, they don't end up. No, and then Josh Josh Manson was hurt on the back end. Obviously, Cogliano had the neck. That was a dirty hit by Abbott. We talked about this off air yesterday. I'm still in shock. They didn't even suspend him after the fact for that. Yeah, I think fans of the individual series give this enough credit, but it's kind of hard to pay attention to this stuff. That's part of being lucky as hell for the Kraken, that there was no massive suspension of that. Yeah, yeah, for sure, because that could have changed Game 7. Yep, exactly. And if they got five in a game like he should have in Game 6, I mean, they lost Game 6 anyway, so I guess maybe. Yeah, but, but yeah, yeah usually then, when people talk about luck, they talk about puck luck, but that is a huge portion of it in a small sample as well. Yep, but again, you want to talk about depth on the blue line. Devon Taves, Kale McCarr. McCarr takes himself out of a game in this series. Jack Johnson, Bowen Byron. Jack Johnson on your second pair is not what you want. That's horrible. That's... Sam- Sam Gerard and Eric Johnson. Eric Johnson sucked this year. I yeah, don't know if Gerard got to... filled in too. Yeah, like that is becoming an issue. And I almost wonder if they move away from Gerard this summer. Is Gerard good? I don't. I don't. I was hundred percent confident the answer to that was yes a little bit ago. I don't know if my even snap answer is yes anymore. Never mind confidence in it. Yeah, no, I I, I agree. Like it's. One of those things where I do really wonder what his – and I mean, like, they won a cup without him last year. Um, and obviously yep. that's not always his fault or anything, but, like, I like the Lightning won a cup without Stamkos because they were that good. I'm not saying Stamkos is bad, but, like, yeah, yeah, like, I wonder what the market is like for Sam Gerrard because I would say based on his past couple of years and just the fact that he seems to be always healthy or unhealthy, uh, I would lean towards, no, he's not good, or he's – replacement line at best yeah but yeah like or if you wanted to go average it'd be like yeah whatever but i don't think there's a lindholm in him where he randomly just becomes a god after being traded no like his repm has been very negative for two years yeah and they were never great he was good no. like he distinctly was, good they were great for his age is yeah kind of what yes was, right yes and when you see good at 21 or whatever for a defenseman that was drafted high crush junior you go, yes, this guy's clearly on the ascent to being elite. Fair assumption. Usually you're right when you do that, but he's yeah, gotten worse every year. 2020, 2021 was his only legitimate, like above just five numbers for our yeah. FPL. Yeah. And he was 22 then. So when you see a 22 year old decent draft pick and all that, you know, makes sense. But now it's weird because yeah. he's only 24 and he might be cooked. <laughs> Well, so that's the thing. It's like, that's why I wouldn't move. He's got four more years of $5 million. I bet you some team does look at him, though, and go, he's only 24. Like, we could probably get the magic back out of him. We can say that. Yeah. (laughs) Or like, yeah, he hasn't even hit his peak or whatever. The Colorado Avalanche haven't been able to get stuff out of this guy. But we we can. We can. Yeah. (laughs) The famously where players go to underwhelm Colorado Avalanche. Yeah, I don't know. For Colorado, the name of the game's got to be re- reload and go again next year, right? Um, yeah, you have your stars. Just keep running it back. Yeah, it'll be interesting how they try and address that. I think they they desperately need to find a way to get some more effective depth players. Um, just, you know, obviously, Lam, no Lamscog all year is such a loss, but he can, he's come off a year not playing and double knee surgery. Who knows if he's going to be great when he gets back, you know? You know what they should do? Or at least look into it because these trades are kind of hard to mock up because these players are never on the block by definition. They have all their first 
they should really look into a Brandon Hagel trade where you get like a really good second liner on a million dollar contract for a couple of years. Yeah. Well, I'm like, I, I kind of like what they've done with like Arturi Lekkinen because they've done that for way cheaper. Right. And then just re-sign them. But it's True. 4.5, not $2 million is the, the downside yeah. to that. Yeah. Like they could really use a great second liner making a million right now. Yeah, exactly. And I would so, pay fairly aggressively to do so far them because your first are probably not going to be that meaningful. But this is the year they're going to be able to kind of reload their depth. Eric Johnson's $6 million comes off the book. Um, Jack Johnson will be off the book. I mean, they signed him. They got to re-sign Bowen Byram. I don't think that'll be a super expensive ticket just because of how little he's played at times. He hasn't played enough, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then JT Comfer, Lars Eller, Evan Rodriguez, Andrew, Andrew Cogliano, Darren Helmer all off the books at like a combined, I don't know, that's four, six, probably $8 million, I would say. Um, so I would say that even Eller's not a massive loss. Evan Rodriguez is maybe the only one you'd want to see if he'd stay for cheap enough, but um, yeah. they're definitely going to have Comfer back at. Two and a two point seven five or whatever. Yeah, exactly. And then uh, they're gonna have to resign New Hook again, who I don't think is gonna make a ton, but it'll be a li- it'll definitely be an upgrade over the nine hundred k that he's making right now. So absolutely. But this will be the year that they can kind of uh, try and you know reimagine their their depth a little bit and see what they do. And it'll depend on Landeskog seven million dollars as well if uh, they expect him to be playing right away next year or if he's a guy where. Um, you know, he if he's taking even part of next year off as well, as scary as that would be for a now 30-year-old who hasn't skated in a year and a half. Yeah, absolutely. But it should be it should be an interesting offseason. So it'd probably be fun for the people in the organization to be able to like actually make meaningful changes to the team because contenders often don't get the chance to do that. You're kind of just like, well, here we are, and we're just gonna keep running this thing. Yeah, for sure. Um yeah, and the other thing, like, it's just so weird how quickly I, not, I'm not saying Colorado's window is closed or whatever, but can change from, like, oh, my God, this is the best roster in the world to, like, oh, this team could use a second liner for $1 million. Yeah, like, we had – uh, we kind of talked – I feel like we were earlier on that than a lot of people. We were just like, ah, it's going to get tough pretty fast there. Yep, yeah, just, like, that's the – when you choose to pay a guy like – um um. Natushkin, who is a very good player, but like when you choose to pay him almost eight million dollars or whatever it is, like it's just that's going to squeeze two or three depth players that you used to like out. Yeah, and just the natural consequence of you had the third best player on the planet on the best value contract we've ever seen, and now he's about to be making twelve and a half million dollars. Yeah, and exactly. Kalmakar going from ELC to straight to nine million dollars. Yeah, one hundred percent. That's that's another very good point. So. Um, and yeah, the, the biggest concern I think for this team is that I don't think they really have any like can't miss prospects that I'm aware of. Um, Sean no, Luke no, Foodie looks pretty good in the AHL this year, but even him, I don't like he's not definitely not a plus level or anything like that. Um, a lot of other teams have a have a John. They don't have yeah. like a horrible prospect system, but 20, I mean they're a contending team. They're just yeah. probably not going to have superstars around the corner yeah. because. No contending teams really do. It would be nice if they could find something, even just like a top six forward in a year or two, because that would go a long way. But yeah. Um, yeah, we'll talk about Seattle in their next series as well. So, and we mentioned they will be playing Dallas because Dallas knocked off the Minnesota Wild in uh, 
six games, pretty convincing fashion by the end of the series. It went back and forth for a little bit, but by games five and six, it kind of felt really, um, really obvious who was winning this series. Dallas goes 4-0, 4-1. Um, and just uh, the depth of their team kind of overwhelmed the the Wild. Uh, Kirill Kaprasov looked really disappointing in this series. Yeah. Is he hurt? He, like, I think he missed time down the stretch, so it really would not shock me. That's I didn't see I if anything thinking. came out. Um, part of that probably because I'm blocked by their biggest insider, but... Um, is Russo blocked you? Yeah, I don't I don't know why. He's been blocked for years. I never interacted with him. But people who yeah. are like blocked for no reason is always one of my favorite uh, things on Twitter. It's like I have no clue how this happened, but so um, but yeah, like when you go from 40 goals, 35 assists in 67 games in a regular season to one goal, no assists in six games, that's just not gonna be good enough. And that one goal came like first period of the first game as well. And so the consequence of the wild paying two guys, what is it? Uh, 12 um, or 13 million dollars not to play with them is getting worse the, next year. Yeah, it's, it's pretty barren in terms of stars outside of Kaprizov. So if he's not going, you're probably screwed. It's pretty much as simple as that. Yeah. Um, uh, like I, I didn't watch as much of the series by the end just because I really felt like Dallas had it. Um, this series where... did not interest me at all. No, and like where Minnesota goes from here, like their roster's got to be kind of set, I think. And like Gustav Nyquist, Oscar Sundquist, and Ryan Reeves all come off the books this year. Same with Marcus Johansson. So the guys they picked up, like there's going to be a couple million dollars free, um, but they're going to be relying on their rookies, really. Like, um, yeah, they need Rossi to Rossi, Goldie. Bully's extension Boldy to be elite. Um, yep. so, so he's getting a $6 million raise. So there's basically every UFA, their cap is going there. Yeah. And they need, um, what's his name? Just take a, well, they've done, they've done off the books this year too. So his whole sure. 6 million will go right to Boldy. And I think we're lower on Dumba than they are, but I don't think they're happy about Dumba being off the books. He just is. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's very true. And Klingberg's off the books as well. So Spurgeon, Brodeen, Jacob Middleton, Alex Goligoski, John Merrill uh, are five of the defensemen. Then they have Brock Faber, who is they're pretty high on, uh, I believe. Kellen Addison, who I think they see as just like six or seven kind of guy. And we'll say and then he's James another guy who could take a step too, to be fair. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I, I think they'll be fine on their blue uh, blue line. Um, again, that's. Mostly because, yeah, I'm not super high on Matt Dumbo or John Klingberg for that matter. Like, there's there's upside with Addison where he's better than Dumbo next year already. Yep. Yep. And especially, yeah, I, I don't think Dumbo is particularly. Like, I, I think people probably underrate how bad Dumbo has been in the past couple of years. Yeah, we don't need to relitigate this because I think we ripped them part of that headline. But, uh, yeah, this team would look a lot better right now if they had an extra first and second round pick, but no Matt Dumbo for that series, don't you think? Yeah, like I was just so confused what they did at the deadline. They sold a little bit. They used some of their salary to retain, but then they're like, oh, we're going to get some other guys. I just, it was a very confusing deadline. And uh, the biggest question this offseason is what they do with Philip Gustafson. Probably yep. just a bridge deal, but like, what does that AAV even look like? Five for two, right? Who got that bridge deal recently? Didn't somebody get, or was it? There's been a big goalie on a bridge deal like that recently, hasn't there? Or was it Shesterkin on Shesterkin at 4.9 for three? 
Yeah, something like that. <laughs> yeah, I think you followed that kind of a blueprint. I think it was Shisterkin that I'm thinking. Yeah, it he's on 5.6 for three years. I think you do something like that. Which, speaking of them being older than you expected, Shisterkin's 27 and on a bridge deal with two more years left. That's kind of yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's weird. But yeah, like, I think that's the model you look for. Yeah, I, I think I agree. I could even, like, if both sides want to do one year at $5 million, I don't think that walks them right to RFA or UFA yet. So I would yeah. be okay if something like that happened, I think, if I'm a team. So, but yeah, I think it's going to be a relatively quiet offseason for the team, unless unless they really – has to be. Unless they really want to shake it up, you know? But – Yeah, but they, teams tend not to do that. Well, and even then, you just signed Brodeen, and he's got a full no-move clause. You're not moving him. You're not moving your captain, Jared Spurgeon, who's actually Spurgeon. still there, and has a full no-move clause. Yeah. You're not uh, trading Kaprizov. You're not touching no. Erickson Eck. You're not touching Zuccarello because he's got a no-move. So now Marcus Foligno going? Like Marcus Foligno. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, all right, sick. Like Marcus no. Foligno and Jacob Middleton are out. Changes are in. Yeah. Like, yeah. I don't know. This team's going to bring back the same roster next year, and guess what? They'll probably be third in this division again next year. Yep, they'll be aggressively As, fine. Yep, and the rest of the division kind of stinks. And might be getting worse. <laughs> I think it probably will be getting worse because that's Actually, a pretty good. No, probably it's getting a lot worse. Uh, yeah, like um, I mean, yeah, like the Predators uh, missed the playoffs this year. And yeah, kind of seem like they want to retool. That's the only team I could see because they're the Blues. Maybe I could see the Blues being just better, just naturally. Just but, luck, yeah. Because their preseason line was like ninety point five points. It would shock me if it's like eighty eight and they play to that. Yeah. But again, like still, that's not that much better. The Wild were a hundred and three point team this year, even yeah, if they dropped yeah. to ninety three. Like. I could, yeah, I could definitely see that. Even the stars, I don't think have any like massive decisions or anything, but oh, they have very important players that are old as hell. So, yeah, like I think, you know. I think I could see the Avs getting five points better and the stars getting three points worse or whatever. The Jets yeah. were about to get to the, I'd be shocked if they don't get worse. Uh, the, the Jets, Coyotes, go ahead. this is over dramatic and like the, Nuclear option. The Jets could get thirty points worse, depending yeah, on what they decide. Really to do. wanted to blow it up. Now they they they've already confirmed they're keeping both Rick Bonus and Kevin Shoveldale off, so they're not going to do that. Let's be honest. Shoveldale yeah, is the most boring GM in the league. Yeah, um, he's, he's got a seventeen-year plan in place already. I'm sure, though. Yeah, um, and then yeah, the Coyotes and Blackhawks. Neither of them want to be good again next year. So um, you know. Well, maybe I guess the the outlier could be if one of the Coyotes or Blackhawks do win the Bedard Sweet Stakes, yeah, that team is going to get twelve points better just naturally or whatever. But yeah, uh, Coyotes but could I, even get worse still. Yeah, but yeah, and, and so miss. again, that's what I mean. Like even if the Blackhawks got twenty two points better, that still puts them at seventy nine points. They're nowhere near a playoff spot in this division. So yeah, not even wow. Um, yeah, okay, let's go to the next one. Winnipeg Jets losing five games to the Vegas Golden Knights. Uh, they win game one and then lose four in a row. Um, we kind of talked about it already. Like, no Shifley, no Morrissey was just going to be too hard to overcome. But uh, the big talk was. is the absolute ripping that Rick Bonus came out and gave this team. 
uh, after they lost game five, just absolutely rips into them, goes, we deserve to lose. They were the better team all year, and they were this fan. No pushback. We had no pushback. Their better players were way better than ours. Um, Blake Wheeler came out and was mad that he did it. I don't give a shit about what Blake Wheeler thinks. He seems like a big crybaby um, who has been mad since he got his captain stripped. <laughs> um, but I couldn't believe I was shocked at just like how openly Rick Bonus was willing to just skewer his team like that. And the fact that he's already said he's being brought back, even with how freaking boring Kevin Shovel Day off is, leads me to believe that there has to be some kind of change here. Oh, there are a hundred percent does. I don't like keep up that much with like beat reporters and stuff. So maybe this is more common than that I'm giving it credit for, but it's pretty rare that it's publicly out there that a locker room is dysfunctional. This it's bad, been yeah. publicly out there that this locker room is an absolute fucking train wreck. And it has been for years. Especially when a team's like winning too, right? Like you hear it on like teams like Vancouver that are out of the playoffs by 25 points. Every year like it gets brought up how people actually like can't stand each other or whatever, right? But like this is a yeah, team that's or, made playoffs like two of the last three years. Or you'll remember this, even though he has you blocked because it was that big of a story. The Wild, when they had this massively dysfunctional front office, but they gutted it. They yeah. fired everyone, right? Yeah. Quickly. A- very, very quickly. Yeah, the, the Jets, on the other hand, is just like, yeah, everyone fucking hates each other and it's a horrible place to be. Are you going to change anything? No, absolutely not. No, we're going to run it back and just see how that goes. <laughs> yeah. So it um, gets better, I guess. Biggest questions this year, I guess, Pierre-Luc Dubois. Like, he's made it pretty open. He wants to go to Montreal. <laughs> yeah, no, to make it better, we added a guy who openly says he wants to be a Montreal Canadian. Like, yeah. every chance he gets by the sounds of the way Habs fans talk about this guy. I don't see any other option with him than re-signing him to a one-year deal and just flipping him somewhere at the deadline with yeah. whatever team, whatever team's picking him up is probably on, like just us knowing he's a peer rental. Yeah. If, yeah, they, if it's true. I forget the exact specifics, but I read it at one point in mid-season. They have like no leverage with them essentially. Like even no. less than it looks like on paper. Yeah, like well, well, yeah, like he can just force his way out to if he really wants to leave that, which it seems like. And then, because here's the other thing too, I, I think, and this is a reason I think you probably just do a one-year arb case with them, or like sign them to whatever. Oh, it's the arbitration. That's one of the big things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so you probably sign them to one right year to UFA. because I'm sure if you flip them to, I don't know, name a team that's got some cap space and like a, is a playoff team. Like it, it's kind of hard to. Maybe Detroit. Let's let's say Detroit yeah. or something like that, right? Flames want him or something. Yeah, run or... and let's let's say or Buffalo. When Buffalo's I don't know. I don't Buffalo's know if he'd be the perfect fit in Buffalo or whatever. But let let's just throw him there. Let's say Buffalo is doing exactly what they did last year. They're a point out of playoffs or whatever. They're right in the playoff mix. It looks like they're going to make it, and they got this exciting young core. I could see Buffalo being able to talk Pierre Luc Dubois into staying long term with them. Yep. He's not staying with the Winnipeg Jets. That is painfully obvious. And then, and if it is just painfully obvious to every team in the league that he is staying with Montreal or wants to go to Montreal after, you're probably just going to have to flip him as a peer rental, which is fine, but not ideal for Winnipeg. Yeah, it sucks. It's not the end of the world, but it it sucks. Especially yeah. when you don't have a You've got a lot of pretty good players, but it would take a lot of like logistics to move a lot of them. He's like your main trade value chip. 
Yeah. Um, yeah, it's about, like I just who's taking on eight point two five of Blake Wheeler at this point. Yeah, and like if you want to move Hellebuck, sure you can probably get a ton. You want to move Connor, sure you can get a ton. But those are if you want to make changes, you're trading Pierre Luc Dubois. If you want to blow the team the fuck up, that's you're that's what you're doing if you're trading those guys. Yeah, and honestly, I think yeah, you're moving like if you want the best way to start a rebuild for this team or even a retool or everyone call it, it's trading Hellebuck. Because that way you at least are sinking a lot of this floor. <laughs> you're in the what's you're in the draft lottery probably next year pretty quickly if you trade Alabama. Yeah. So and again, he's only got one more year after this at six point one six six. And there's already been rumors I've heard kind of circulating with um some insiders where they go, Hellebuck hasn't really won anything and he's about to be 30. Does he really want to stick around in this team? So I wouldn't blame him if he doesn't. No, I wouldn't either. Again, especially uh, given it's an open secret that the dressing room is a horrible place to be in. So imagine how bad it must be, actually, given how yeah. hush-hush that usually is, that yeah. it's that open of a secret. It can't be fun no, to go to work every day. No, I, I totally agree. Um, other side of this, like Vegas just kind of did what they had to do. Uh, again, like this was a, a limping dog they took out back. And, yeah, just put it down. Vegas yeah. is... Better hockey team. Yep, exactly. Um, Jack Eichel, he struggled early in the series, but I thought he really looked good as the series uh, kept going on. So um, by, he ended up with five points in five games in the series, and uh, I'm gonna he'll be a guy, obviously, I'm going to keep an eye on as we go into round two, um, which I didn't even realize, but it's McDavid versus Eichel in round two. Oh, that'll be cool. I yeah. didn't realize that either. Yeah, I didn't even I think about don't... that. It's kind of sad that the Eichel hype kind of died. Yeah, I mean, it's just kind of out of sight, out of mind, too, right? With even like, I know Vegas is a big enough talking point, but out on the West Coast now. And honestly, for like how big of a talking point Vegas used to be this year, they just kind of had a bunch of injuries yeah. and just kind of did their thing the entire year. Like, yeah, they just put up their 110 points or whatever it was, and nobody thought a damn thing about it. Yep. So um, that probably played into it as well. But yeah, our last year's. The Edmonton Oilers defeat the LA Kings 4-2, Game 6. Uh, they win 5-4 in Game 6. Crazy, crazy back-and-forth game after that Leafs game. Um, Corpus Allo didn't play very well in this series. No. Um, granted, the, the Oilers often... He had a couple just, good games. Yeah, like he, didn't, he wasn't the reason they lost. but And that's why like, I kind of want to give him credit, because this Oilers offense is just dynamic, dude. But, yeah, they scored like 20 more goals than anyone else in the regular season. And the 20 they scored more than was the record setting Boston Bruins. And the team yep. they scored 20 more than. Like, and like, they're, yeah, they're not the, messing around. Their power play is good. But the biggest difference and why I'm, I'm kind of quietly really encouraged by this Edmonton team, their depth was actually good this round. Their depth yeah, it actually LA, was. Which I thought LA, that's where LA would have the massive advantage in this round. And like well, and that gets scary quick because the Oilers era adjusted probably have the best power play in the history of hockey. McDavid and Dreisaitl or McDavid and Dreisaitl. If they have depth, that's a terrifying team to play. Literally. And like McDavid's not 100%. Saw the video of him obviously probably hopping yeah. on his knee. But now they have three full days. Oh, they don't play till Wednesday. So they have Sunday, Monday. And, and I thought his best game was game six. And that was conveniently after he had three other days off. <laughs> yeah. So he's going to play one game in a week. And that is probably exactly what he needs right now. So that's a scary proposition as well. And 
like the the absolute disgust i heard like i read an article and i think it was right before we started recording i was gonna make a joke about it last week but i didn't but they put um when mcdavid was a little struggling a little more on five and five they just put mcdavid uh kane and dry settle together and they just yeah. absolutely dominated the la kings when they're on the ice so like why they did so well against the LA Kings. Like, hmm, probably because it's two of the best five players in the world and one of the best peer finishers that on the left wing that we have in the league right now. Just a thought that could work out pretty well. Yeah, it might be all right. I'm no professional coach, but I'm pretty confident in that line being okay. Yeah, so, um, but yeah, like, I, I don't know. This team looks good. I feel bad for LA. Like, this is quietly starting to kind of feel like um, the Toronto teams have passed. Yeah where I like their roster, but they ran into Washington and then they ran into a really good Boston team. And then, you know, obviously they just need to try and find their Columbus or Montreal and actually beat them then. But um, like this, this Edmonton team's a very good team. And, you know, I, last year they missed Drew Doughty and took Edmonton to seven. Again, we said both teams got better this year. I thought that was true. Um, it kind of sucks that it, Kevin Fiala was not healthy to start this series and neither was Gabriel Velarde, but uh yeah, I don't know. I, I really like this uh, this LA team going forward. And, and what do they do this offseason? Not much is the answer. Uh, Gavrikov is a, a UFA. The, the biggest thing is they need to figure out what the hell they're doing in net. They got Cal Patterson at $5 million. Corpus Allo is a UFA. And they signed Phoenix Copley for $1.5. I would assume they buy Cal Patterson out. And you then kind of have to, right? Three years at, or two years at $5 million left. So let me just do a bio calculation quick. I don't think it would cost too much because I think he's pretty young actually as well, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, he um, is. He's 20, 25. I think so. So it might actually be uh, a one-third calcul- uh, thing then here. Let me, sorry. Those are rare. Those are fun when they happen just because yeah. you never see them. No kidding. And again, like I've, I've harped on this a bunch, but like that's exactly why you should... Um, do it more or like sign those contracts more often bet on young people yeah yeah okay yeah so yeah so if they bought him out this summer uh he would have a five million dollar cap hit this year it actually looks like so they wouldn't they'd only have 166k in savings this year um because he's oh that's why mm, shoot he's a four million dollar signing bonus this year oh yeah so maybe they don't buy him out or can they wait? Can you wait and buy him out after the uh the post July one or whatever? Yeah, July update results. Let's see what that looks like. No. No, can't uh, can't game the system like that, unfortunately. Um, so maybe that changes a little bit because yeah, it would be buying him out, it would have a five million dollar cap hit this year, only 166k next year, uh, and then 1.166 for the next two years. Um uh, I don't think they buy him out then. I think they... Yeah, you probably just leave it. Yeah, you probably just bury him and then buy him out next summer. Yep. At that cost. So, um, but yeah, the, the goaltending is the one thing they got to figure out. The rest of their team is uh, pretty set, I would say. Um, like yeah, they're it's a good year up... to need goalies, though, like we were saying. Yep, exactly. Yep, there's going to be options. And literally none of their big forwards are, are UFAs. Kopitar is still signed for one more year. Um, and that'll be an interesting one too. He's off the books after next year. He's another guy I could see come back and be like, I'll just sign a one-year deal, like a million dollars or whatever. 
Yeah, or do the Bergeron thing where it works out like that exactly. style of contract. Yeah, he's like I, he's made one hundred twenty-one million dollars in career earnings. That's before any endorsements or stuff. But yeah, yeah, Fialos and he's won his cup, which really helps. Too, exactly. But, yeah, and and this is a team that's now loaded and looks like they want to make another cup run at some point. So it's like yeah, you can be a, he could be an old guy. Player. He could be Justin Williams instead of yeah. Anze Kopitar for the next cup. Exactly. So Fiala signed, Dano signed, Adrian Kempe signed. Arvidsson's got one more year after this one. Ayafalo's got two more years. Trevor Moore signed. Carl Gunchen signed. Blake Lazat signed. Like they're just everyone is signed. Gabe Velarde is an RFA. They are going to have to re-sign him. Um, I can't imagine that that'll be expensive. Cost too much. And honestly, that I'm curious to see what that contract looks like. To be fair, um, because that could be one where I think you could steal some value on. Um, I really Gee. love Velarde. Every time I watch him play, he looks amazing. He just has not been able to stay healthy for the life he of him. Can't st- yeah, um, which is too bad. It really is. But, like, to me, that's something you shouldn't be worried about when signing a 23-year-old because if he's that unhealthy, he can't play, he's just going on LTIR anyways, you know? Yep, it's worth the shot. It's worth the risk, especially because, and this is it hinges a lot on my field, the Kings have a good roster. But making the step to having a great roster is going to be somewhat difficult to them, given that they had a bunch of... Like, Turcotte was an amazing draft pick. Doesn't look like he's going to be elite. Byfield was an amazing draft pick at the time, but you'd much... Like, if they have Stuzzle instead of Byfield, their future looks wildly different, right? Oh, yeah. Like, they need to steal some elite value cheap. Yeah, that's good value cheap to make up for the fact they don't have a superstar. Literally, they need... They still need Quentin Byfield to take a step or, or Kaliev or someone like that, right? Yeah. So um just saying, my boy, Francisco Pinelli, look for him True. to be that guy. Um, I like Pinelli. I, I do too. like him too. Yeah, uh, that's that, I was very happy to hear that. And anyone does know, Kitchener Rangers captain this year. Um, absolutely. Our local OHL team. Yeah, outstanding context. year. Um, and he actually signed a contract with LA and got called up for game six. He didn't play with it. I didn't playing the lineup or anything but um was on the team so that's kind of cool but uh cool. yeah i don't know i i think la is uh they're, they're still in a very good position going forward it's just yeah how do you make that jump to the next step so um if that's internal great but if not like what do you do to try and make that externally so that'll be a big thing for the series again we talked about it a lot um I thought Edmonton played really well, and it, I'm really, really excited to see Edmonton-Vegas route, too. That should be good. Um, I think Dallas-Seattle will be sneaky good as well. Uh, I think, you know, we'll preview them officially. Just, you know, I'm kind of leaning – I'm definitely leaning Dallas in that series. I think it'll be six, though, or something like that. Probably have a more official prediction, but I don't want to seem cheap if we've already seen a game from a couple of those series. Um, Vegas-LA, I could see going either way, and seven. Uh, and then on the other side – I really like Toronto to beat Florida, man. I I don't know. I I feel good about that if I'm if uh, or I would sorry. I'd feel good about that if I were a Leaf fan. And then they're the odds on Cup favorites, and it makes logical sense. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, they still then, probably won't win, but it honestly, actually makes sense. If the I don't know if it matters who wins the Devils Rangers tonight. I kind of like either of them to beat Carolina in seven. With how hurt Carolina because is. yeah, how hurt Carolina is. Yeah, I think yeah, I would flip that's... it the other way. If Carolina was at full strength, I would say I don't think it matters who wins tonight. Carolina's beating them in six or yeah. seven, but with just because Devils are just kind of Carolina, but 
like a couple of years ago. Yep. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, so, um, but then again, like if Schmidt keeps playing as well as he has for the Devils, um, that could be a difference. <laughs> That's true. Too. That's a so. X factor. If you've ever seen one before. Yeah. Fucking third so. string goalie decides he's Shusterkin level. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I don't know. That's all I have. Is there anything you want to hit on any of these series? Yeah, that's all I got too. Any prediction on who wins tonight? Well, people probably know by the time they're listening, but Devils. Yeah, give me the Devils. I picked I mean, them to go to the Eastern Conference Finals in my bracket. So I did the Might same. Well so. it out. I, I'm going to lean Devils as well, but I, I just hope it's a good game. The other two games, the game sevens last night were incredible. So uh, they were. Really, really hope this one can follow up. Yeah, I agree. All right. Probably oh, well. I have faith in this. I think so. Well. Should be good. Yeah, it's been a pretty good series. Even the, the first two games were lopsided, but the other games were were solid. So, um, yeah. No, all right. Well, we will be back at you on Thursday with a full round two preview, breaking up every small, you know, all the matchups that we want to keep an eye on going into round two for each series as well. We'll also break down, obviously, this game seven, uh, what happened, and then the first game of the uh, round two that happens on Tuesday as well, which is uh, Toronto, Florida, and Seattle, Dallas. So we'll be back then. Thank you everyone so much for listening. As always, you can find my work at lastwordonhockey.com. I have a recap of the Lightning Leaf series up, and I will be covering the Leafs Panthers series. So I'll have a uh, preview of that up tomorrow or whenever you're listening to this, it'll almost probably be up the, as well. Um, and then you can find me on Twitter at NHL Sense and stuff, Chase on Twitter at CMHockey66, all his stuff on Substack and theactionnetwork.com. Thank you everyone so much for listening and we'll talk to you all next time.